Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, everybody. Ding dong. Which old witch? Donald Trump. We've got a uh, an optimistic one today, you know, for change. Because my first uh, post-election uh, night uh, podcast, and uh, how could you come away from the last few days without thinking, wow, wow, whoa, that was a roller coaster. That was disturbing. And, and one thing that's disturbing, of course, is my faith that I've always had in American polling. Of course, uh, we have a problem sometimes in our our nation, uh, finding something to put our our faith in. And um, for the longest time now, it's been especially during periods uh, leading up to an election, it seems like the one thing that we Americans really can place a lot of faith in, our hopes and dreams for ourselves and our families and our futures, polling and uh, polling aggregators who crunch the polling numbers, the Nate Silvers of this world, because that's what we always look to. Polls are, are numbers. There's something you can uh, wrap your head around to help you understand where Americans uh, stand, uh, who we are, what we know, what we believe. And, uh, and okay, let's face it, pollsters missed it four years ago. What they um, hadn't seen is that Americans had become uh, fed up with the elite's in this country, and that uh, Hillary Clinton had uh, come to represent the elites, uh, fairly or not. The narrative was that Hillary went to Wellesley, Yale Law, married a classmate from Yale, and and, uh, joined an elite law firm in Arkansas, uh, because that's where Bill was from, and and that she and Bill uh, had made all those elite uh, contacts at Yale and, and at law and, and Bill at Oxford, and they were just ambitious and plotted together to become president and first lady and got all high and mighty and did really well for themselves and their friends who were also educated elites, the meritocracy. And then after leaving office for a while, they formed this foundation that got its all money from famous wealthy elites and the Sultan of Brunei and Wall Street types who all knew the system and got rich and gave some of their spoils to the Clintons who, you know, he did, did some good things like save, you know, millions of lives in Africa, but not like the Trump Foundation, which had just was a really... Uh, you know, just like a family, family thing. It also was, a, a, by the way, it turned out to be a, a criminal enterprise, the Trump Foundation. But pollsters had missed that. They thought uh, Hillary was going to, going to win. And the story was that uh, Americans really resented the elites. And uh, while the middle class and working folks had been slipping for decades, that was what was happening there. But they missed that. And post-World War II prosperity, where you could 
work in a car factory, say, and then make a great life for you and your family with a $30 an hour job, raise a family, have a cabin at the lake. That was, that was gone. That was disappearing. And we were leaving behind people in Youngstown and Erie and Flint and Green Bay and on the Iron Range in Minnesota. And we had this guy, Donald Trump, come around and we knew him to be wildly successful and a real estate magnet, a builder, a builder and a, a compelling reality show star, a tough, no-nonsense, extremely competent. And he was on the side of the working guy. And Pulser somehow missed that. And uh, Americans took a flyer on him, and he turned out to be just a nightmare and a, and a psychopath who had paid off a porn star and lied every time he opened his mouth and had no attention span, zero attention span, and spent his time tweeting and was mean and vindictive. And, yeah, some Americans were buying his act when, when, when the economy seemed to be, you know, continuing on the glide path that he inherited from Obama. So he still had a base of supporters who didn't take him literally but took him seriously, and then COVID. And suddenly the ICUs were jammed with people on ventilators and the economy just shut down and then millions lost their jobs and a couple hundred thousand Americans died and were dying. And he didn't seem to be taking it seriously. And then about eight weeks ago, we learned that he considered our men and women in the military to be suckers and losers. And then we learned from Bob Woodward that he he had known all along about the seriousness of COVID and actually just lied to us because he didn't want, you know, hurt the stock market. And still he continued not to take it seriously and didn't wear a mask. And Americans were continuing to die and losing their jobs and our economy is in free fall. And we learned that this fabulously wealthy guy was using his job to make more money for himself and his family and that he paid $750 a year in taxes. And he kept telling us that COVID was under control and going away. And he was saying that the last month of the campaign and that it that shouldn't be about COVID. And then he got COVID. And yet he decided to do rallies that were super spreader events just as COVID was spiking again in, in the upper Midwest where he finished the campaign. He was saying he was going to fire the most respected guy in the country, Anthony Fauci, right after the election. So going into last Tuesday, the pollsters, the polls were telling us that this was going to be a blowout. And again, the polls were just so wrong. The Washington Post had a poll a couple days before the election saying that Biden was up 17 points in Wisconsin. And then the night of the election, my God, and all I hate to bring you back to last Tuesday, but it looked like it was going to be a repeat of 2016. Oh, my God, that was a long night. I was talking to Chris Rock, talking about elites. I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, man, what, a, what an elite. We were talking about pollsters, and he said that pollsters are like a bad reliever. You know, the, the closer they bring in who always blows it. Oh. The managers bring out his closer, Nate Silver, who's had a few bad outings lately. Yeah, Bob, uh, he seems to be tipping his pitches uh, because he's uh, blowing a number of these situations lately. Uh, oh, you're right, Barney, but uh, for some reason, 
Skipper really likes this guy, and he keeps bringing him in in these situations. Oh, there's a long ball. It's going, going, oh. So election night was a nightmare. And for a number of hours there, it looked like we were going to see a repeat of 2016. But finally, around 2 or 3 in the morning, even though it was still kind of bleak for some of us, it started to look like it might work out. And Biden had a path to win this thing. And that's when Trump could not help himself and went out in the East Room and showed his hand. Let's play a little bit of that. I want to thank the American people for their tremendous support. Millions and millions of people voted for us tonight. And uh, a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise that group of people. And we won't stand for it. We will not stand for it. We were getting ready for a big celebration. We, we were winning everything, and all of a sudden, it was just called off. The results tonight have been phenomenal, and we are getting ready. I mean, literally, we were just all set to get outside and just celebrate something that was so beautiful, so good. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? It's, it's a very sad, it's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. So he was basically saying he had won. He knew he had won, but the election was being stolen. The Democrats were engaged in, in this tremendous fraud and corruption and yada, yada. And that's when you knew he was losing. And at that moment, he lost any standing to challenge the outcome of the election. And that was it. I mean, even Chris Christie just blasted Trump, saying there was absolutely no basis for that. I mean, it was great. That was it. He had forfeited any opportunity of ever challenging it again. As you know, I record this uh, a few days ahead of when it drops. I'm recording this on a Friday. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what he's going to do. But my God, there's nobody. Is there anybody who doesn't know what happened? And is there anybody who's going to not go, okay, come on, man, come on, please leave, please, please leave. And you know what? Chris Rock said something to me. Chris said something uh, that was really interesting. He said, you know, the baby always wails the loudest before it goes to sleep. And so there'll be some wailing. And then... What Chris said was that during the holidays, he'll go down to Florida and then we'll never really hear from him again. He's not, <laughs> he's not going to go to tea. He and Melania are not going to go to tea with President-elect Biden and Jill. They're not going to do that. He's not going to go to the inaugural. You're just not going to see him for a while. Oh, we'll 
maybe see him in New York in February or with his new network or something. But no, he's oh wow. This is this is actually great. <laughs> now, uh, okay, we can talk about the Senate. We're gonna we're gonna, we have Norm Ornstein with us today, and Norm is just uh, I think you all know Norm. He's been on uh, the podcast a number of times. He to me is the super pundit, Norm Ornstein. You know, he's an old white Jewish guy, and so there's something not to be said about that. But so am I. So am I. This, this is going to be a great one, folks, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. So the long national nightmare is over, huh? The long national nightmare is over. Now prepare for the next long national nightmare, which is uh, what we call the transition. (laughs) And... You know, it's uh, these are often difficult, uh, even when it's within the same party. Uh, the transition between Reagan and uh, George Herbert Walker Bush had its moments of tension as the Reagan loyalists were kind of resentful that they were leaving. Usually you have norms that are uh, observed and there are laws in place. And this time we have a president who's going to do none of that. And his goal is going to be to make sure that nothing goes well for Joe Biden and that there is a scorched earth when he finally takes office. So, you know, we can exult in the moment. Michael Lewis wrote The Fifth Risk about the uh, transition from Obama to Trump. And basically that was all about how Trump (laughs) just didn't do one. 
Yeah. And basically thought, you know, he said to Chris Christie, who was in charge of the transition until Trump won, and then Jared got rid of him <laughs> and replaced him with, I guess, Pence and himself. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, Trump had said to Christie, well, you know, we can we can just get together after the victory party and for an hour and you and I can plan the administration, how the government's going to work. But what can he do that's more destructive? Because let's, uh, let's give well, him some ideas. Okay. First, uh, let me issue the warning here and uh, for any loyal civil servants, and I mean loyal to the Constitution uh, and the law, take heed. There are, are going to be many efforts and enormous temptation to destroy any incriminating evidence. You remember from The Sopranos when uh, Carmela and Tony, as they saw the law coming, broke through uh, the ceiling to get all the money down and out. In this case, one of the things to keep in mind is that Trump made all of these phone calls to foreign leaders from the Situation Room that were so alarming that they put them in a deep freeze. I suspect they're going to try and uh, defrost them and then burn them. What is the deep freeze? What's the physical deep freeze just for me and our listeners? In, in effect, they put them in a place where nobody could get access to them without uh, the approval of the president. You know, it was like the most top secret thing in the entire government. Think of having uh, a safe inside a safe inside a safe. But they're all going to become accessible when Biden becomes president. And very likely, there's stuff on those phone calls. We don't even know what's in the phone calls that he made from his cell phone without all those people present in the, the situation room. The cell phone, uh, you're not going to get access to, except that we know that most likely every foreign government has access to it. <laughs> you know, these other calls are going to be there. And there are probably calls to Putin and to Erdogan, to Sisi and to MBS and who knows what he discussed that may be embarrassing or it may be incriminating. Then we've got all of the documents, including the emails and exchanges. Uh, just to pick one example, Wilbur Ross, the Secretary of Commerce, who flat out lied to Congress about adding a citizenship question to the census, who then defied a court order to continue the census through the time period when it was supposed to be continued, Imagine if there are all kinds of emails and other evidence that this was deliberate, including deliberately lying and, and other things that are flat out incriminating. Isn't there a statute about like Wilbur Ross who statutorily is too old to prosecute? <laughs> uh, you know, it just I mean, doesn't have that protection. Just consider that we prosecuted <laughs> former Nazis right up into their 90s. So, you know, it's... Uh, when you're right, you're right, Norm. Yes. <laughs> you could go through every cabinet member and, of course, all of those in the White House and, and find some of the same things. Let's, Tony and Carmela, you know, yeah, went through the ceiling, get the stuff. What are Melania <laughs> and <laughs> Donald doing about this incriminating stuff? Are they taking an ax to this? I mean, what do they do? One could imagine that they take it and try to destroy it, that uh, you're going to find cabinet members and others who are going to try to cover their tracks, those would be violations of the law, violations of the Presidential Records Act, violations of the larger Records Act, the Government Records Act. And uh, we need to be sure that uh, career civil servants don't participate in this, or they could be liable, and that they 
report any evidence of wrongdoing. We're setting up a whistleblower hotline through the organization, the Project on Government Oversight, or POGO. So that's one thing. Now, that's you know not directly related to blowing things up for Biden. Let's talk about what he could do in blowing things up for Biden. First of all, wait a minute. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Is there any there there yeah. for him fighting this? Um, we are getting ahead of ourselves. I'm headstrong. Thank you for reining me in. Uh, my nightmare scenario uh, before our long national nightmare was over was that we would get to 270 electoral votes for Biden, 268 for Trump, 270, of course, being the magic number needed to win. The nightmare was they would manipulate it and get uh, an elector to switch. Uh, I was hoping we would get well over that. I was hoping that we would get at least to 290 with Pennsylvania, and we're there. Uh, so. It's not like they're going to be able to get an elector to switch and, you know, change this so that it goes right to the House. What we do know is that we're going to get a recount in Georgia. We may get a recount in Arizona or Nevada. That'll take us a little bit of time. I have a question about that, which is, do you do a recount in the I I know you do a recount if you're me and you're running for the Senate and you win by, you know. You have a margin of 200 votes or something. Does it make any difference? What difference does it make if it doesn't make any difference? In other words, why spend the money doing a recount in Nevada? Why do a recount maybe in in Arizona, maybe in in Georgia? Why do them if it doesn't make any difference? So here's their strategy, uh, and it's going to be a twofold strategy, and I hope that we have enough of a comfort zone here that none of this plays out. You get an election, you count the votes, you certify the results. The certification in states is normally done by the legislature, which has the authority over the electors, and every state has said that the winner is the winner of the popular vote. That has to be done by December 8th. Uh, It's called the safe harbor date. Then the electors drop dead date to meet in their respective states is December 14th. It's a twofold strategy. One is delay. So you know what happens with a recount where you had the results free and clear with enough time for you to meet with your class and be sworn into the Senate uh, on January 3rd. The legal challenges took months and months over a small number of ballots. They're going to try to flood the zone and delay this so that if any of these states, especially Pennsylvania, goes past the safe harbor date, then the legislature is going to say, well, we're going to have to simply preempt this process and choose our electors. Or they may say, never mind the recount, we're just going to let the legislature do this. And this is what Newt Gingrich and Lindsey Graham and other odious figures, I've searched for the right word, odious I think is the best one, uh, are suggesting Lindsey Graham is a senator and he he's just got chairman re-elected, of so the he's... Judiciary Committee. Yes. And he really said this. Uh, yes. He said, you know, what Lindsey has said yesterday and today is there's widespread evidence of fraud and we need to uh, get to the bottom of it and that all options have to be on the table. You know, they're, one of the things that's happening here is they're spreading disinformation that in Pennsylvania, the Republican observers are not being allowed in the room, which is simply a lie, and that's all over the web. They're trying to set up conditions 
so that they could have the legislature preempt the process and choose electors for Trump. Now, if that happens, the governor is going to uh, say, never mind that. We're going to follow the law, which is the, the winner of the popular vote gets the electors, and I'm going to certify a slate of Biden electors. The way no, that, the state popular vote, just to make sure. Yes. That so you have following. contested electors, and the contested electors go to Congress, and Congress has to agree on January 6th, the House and Senate, on which slate of electors to certify. And if they don't agree, then you don't have those electoral votes. Now, if Biden is over 270 without Pennsylvania, that just isn't going to work. Or they try uh, Nevada and... Or they try Wisconsin and Michigan, where you also have uh, state legislatures that are Republican that you know might uh, try the same gambit. And if that happens... You know, we could get to a point where you don't have anybody with a majority, and then uh, ostensibly the House voting by state would choose a president, which would be Republican. Now, that would be a coup. Boy, I can't see this. Boy, I can't see this. I mean, who's going to be their lawyer? Who's their lead lawyer? Rudy Giuliani? I mean, yeah. are there any respected lawyers? On their side. You know, Jared Kushner said, we've got to find uh, our Jim Baker. Uh, Jim Baker, of course, uh, being the key figure that they used to uh, win Florida in in 2000. And so my reaction to that was, we need our Jim Baker. We're getting Rudy Giuliani. It's like saying, we need our Lawrence Olivier. Let's get Curly, Larry, and Moe, which is a little bit of a... If you're doing a comedy. Yeah. It's a little bit of a diss to the three students <laughs> who actually were quite accomplished. But, you know, given that they were brilliant, um, you wouldn't exactly want one of them to substitute for Laurence Olivier in Hamlet, say. So that you're you're forced to, to get crazy Rudy Giuliani to be your lead figure here. It tells you where they are. And what it tells you also is that the respectable and respected Republican litigators and there are some brilliant ones uh, like uh, Ted Olson and um, Paul Clement, former solicitors general. They're not touching this stuff with a 10-foot pole. Well, they're probably all never Trumpers. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, and they've certainly represented clients who are kind of on the edge, uh, Paul Clement has. But they're not going anywhere near this because they know that it's dangerous and it's also ridiculous in legal terms. But, you know, ridiculous, when you see uh, what we have on the Supreme Court now, that doesn't mean ridiculous can't work. I'd rather go back to Tony and Carmella. Let's assume that our long national nightmare of the election (laughs) is over. Uh, We have all these warning signs. And what I'm waiting for right now, and I haven't seen it yet, uh, because this is just at a dangerous moment, and Trump is not just throwing gasoline on the fire. I mean, he's picking whatever accelerant he can uh, through his reckless uh, uh, statements. And, you know, you have to worry about people out there. The Proud Boys, after all, have been standing by getting involved. And when you get figures like the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, having won his reelection, doubling down on his uh, cult-like and reckless behavior, it's a dangerous time. I'm just I'm kind of amazed that there has not been and I'm knocking on wood here, but I'm 
a little amazed that there just hasn't been any actual violence at all. I mean, I know those those that caravan tried to, yeah, you know, r- the, push the bus off to the side, the Biden bus, yeah. and that there were some people congregating in uh, uh, Maricopa County at that place where they're counting, yeah. but no one has actually done any real violence yet, and knock well, on wood. But I, you know, I just kind of feel like, I mean, even Fox News is just really cooling its jets. I mean, they're they're basically saying, you know, the the the, the Chris Wallace's there or the Chris Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> There's one, but I mean, they they are not um, they're not lying, right? You know, it's interesting. The decision desk at Fox is has been the gold standard here uh, in the past. And of course, Trump and his people went absolutely ballistic when Fox called Arizona before anybody else. And, you know, Fox has not been uh, all in on Trump with this stuff so far, which is definitely a positive uh, element here. And maybe that will uh, continue. What I've been hoping is that Fox, uh, having called Arizona, waiting until they actually get the official over 270. I was hoping it would happen last night so that they would break into Sean Hannity's show to say Joe Biden has won the presidency. Just the delicious element of Sean Hannity's show being the place where for the first time Joe Biden was officially uh, I don't watch the, I don't watch Fox. I just I don't even have it. I yeah. don't have Fox. I don't yeah. pay for it. And so I don't know what their graphics are like when something some yeah. breaking news happens. Yeah. But that would be a nice thing to see. It'd be Sean Hannity saying While Trump was watching some awful it. thing. Yeah. And uh yeah, and then boom, boom breaking it just would have been so delicious. Uh but yeah, but it didn't happen. No. But well, that would have been one of these small pleasures, like the extra uh, maraschino cherry on top of the Sunday. But we have the Sunday, it appears, you know, especially if we're over 300 electoral votes. And it looks like there's a real possibility that that's where we will be. Georgia is still a little problematic um, until we get some more votes in because there are something like 8,900 overseas ballots, not just military. Right. And a lot of those are, are troops, although yeah. I think our troops now as a group yeah. are pro-Biden. Those ballots are going to include people working overseas along with the loser and sucker ballots from the military. So you right. would hope that uh, they have come to realize what they've got now in a commander in chief. But you want to have enough of a margin for Biden that even if they break some for Trump, it's not enough to over. uh, But again, it goes to my question of if you have well over 270 and you have a recount, say, in Nevada and it doesn't make any difference. No, that's right. What is the point in doing it? What's the point in spending that money? And I guess the point is for history to know what the electoral yeah, you want to or something? Well, there's a reason for that, and you know, candidates the 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 laws are different in states. Some states have automatic recounts if it's within a quarter or a half a percent. Others allow candidates to call for a recount. In some cases, like in Wisconsin, it, you don't have to pay for it if you call for it if it's within I think a, a quarter of a percent. If it's a half a percent, you got to pay for it, which is like three million dollars. But I'm not so concerned that you get a recount. Uh, which now, because the ballots are you know calculated in a mechanical fashion, 
uh, is not going to take a huge amount of time. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, I can tell you it it doesn't take all that long. My recount was settled, as you said, in time, uh, you know, in time for me to be seated with my class. But the Republicans wanted to delay me all they could. And in my state in Minnesota, you aren't seated until the Supreme Court decides. And, and Coleman, you know, I won in time to be seated in January 3rd with my, my class, but they delayed me until July because I was the 60th vote. And when I finally got there, I would, we finally were able to do things like the Affordable Care Act. And what was it? I, I kind of remember Norm Coleman making a statement right after the election about counting the votes. What was it that he said? Well, he was ahead. Yes. And what did he after say? election night, and he said that the margin was too wide. It was 700 yeah. votes or something at that point. And then you do a thing called the canvas. Yeah. That's a reconciliation. And what you do is, you know, when people call in to the Secretary of State from Ely or something and they go like 128 to 96, sometimes someone writes it down wrong. So you have a what's called a canvas. And usually that total changes a little bit. And that went from uh, like 700 and something to 225 or something. So when we started the recount, it was 225 and every ballot was looked at. That's what I'm saying. We, we had to have people at every table. There are counting tables and there is a, an election judge and then uh, a Coleman person on his right or his left and, and then a Franklin person on the other. And they look at every ballot. I was just trying to point out Norm's hypocrisy, you know, by saying, well, I don't like to do that. Uh, yeah, I know. But I, I was doing it for a reason, not just uh, uh, stick it to Norm. One of the funniest things that's happened here is that the Trump people are simultaneously uh, saying, stop the count in Pennsylvania, where he's been ahead, as they did in Michigan and Wisconsin, and continue the count in Arizona and Nevada, where he's been running behind. And, you know, there, there was a story that because what Trump's been saying over and over again is stop the count, stop the count. So all of these people, you know, armed with their AR-15s who've gone to the Maricopa County Courthouse didn't get the nuance in the memo. And they were out there shouting, stop the count. Apparently, uh, you know, Trump thought that when he said stop the count, people would understand that he meant stop the count in the states where I'm ahead, continue the count in the states where I'm behind. Uh, but his followers uh, didn't get that memo. Well, that was actually because he just tweeted "Stop the counting," and yeah. he, and if he did tweet that, and at that moment, that meant he would have lost. Yeah, <laughs> there was some really funny stuff uh, yeah. that he that he tweeted. You know, he would like, "I declare Michigan." It was like he was Vasco da Gama. Well, it started a meme on Twitter where people were saying, "I declare that I've won the Nobel Peace Prize." <laughs> but it was I declare yeah. the state of Michigan. And yeah. it was like it really was like, are you Magellan? Did you yes. find <laughs> a new continent or yes. something like that? I mean, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it was uh, I declare the moon. Yes. is a state that has three electoral votes. Well, I declare that I have a full head of hair. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to take a, uh, a quick break and we'll be right back with Norm Ornstein. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, 
Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Let's talk about uh, President-elect uh, Biden, assuming yeah. uh, that he's declared president-elect even before maybe this this airs. What are his challenges uh, going forward, aside from the uh, transition, handling yep. this transition? But we have a divided country. We just yep. do. Yes. And that's this this election. I you know I think people were shocked at how divided we still are. I think obviously the polling looked like it would be a fairly short night, and it wasn't. And uh, we have two universes of of information that people get. We we have people getting their stuff from Rush Limbaugh on Fox and Breitbart and Facebook is feeding them what they want to see. How do you heal that? I mean, at least we got a guy who wants to do that, which is an advantage, I think, as opposed to Trump, who literally wanted to divide us even more. But how do you do that if you're Joe Biden? What's the approach? So I call that uh, universe the lies and the lying liars uh, that tell them universe. And it's a huge yes, challenge. thank you. Great book on that subject. Um, and, and that's a real challenge. But before we get to that, keep in mind that the greatest challenge that he has is, is divided government in terms of his agenda. But remember, we have three Senate seats that are not decided that could make the difference in terms of whether we have divided or united government. One is in Alaska. Alaska has only counted barely over half its votes and will not count the rest until next week. And mm -hmm. while Al Gross, the Democratic candidate, is behind substantially, there are actually enough uh, mail-in ballots uh, he believes that he could win this and other observers do too. You know, you got to be a little skeptical. I don't think that the mail-in votes in Alaska necessarily fit the profile of the mail-in votes in Pennsylvania, but it's still uh, not decided. And then we know we're going to have these two runoffs in Georgia. And whatever happens in Alaska, if Democrats win those two, which is which will be on January 5th, then they have uh, 50 seats in the Senate. And while that won't be enough to deal with any of the election-related issues on January 6th, starting on January 20th, they've got the majority. They can have the majority leader. And that is an enormous difference because if they don't have it, we have this 
challenge from McConnell. And I'll get to that. But, you know, your larger point, there's no question that Joe Biden ran on and believes in healing the country and being president of all the people, which is a stark contrast uh, from uh, Donald Trump and his approach. And remember, Trump's approach isn't just reaching out to his base over and over. It's punishing the other side. It's one of the reasons why all of your noble work on the Electoral College What's often lost in this is it's not just about an election. Donald Trump has stuck it to California over and over as the state has gone through these terrible times with uh, wildfires, uh, cutting off aid and uh, sliming the state because he doesn't care. He's not going to win those electoral votes. He wasn't going to win those electoral votes. If it were a popular vote, he'd have to pay attention. But that aside, Biden is going to try and reach out to everybody. You're going to have half the country that is not going to be on board with that. And remember, Obama did that same thing. The bigger problem or challenge is that one of the ways in which you do that is to try and get bipartisan governing. And we know right now that Mitch McConnell has very little interest in bipartisan governing unless it is in some place where it serves his own interest. So here's what's going to happen in the lame duck session now. Uh, McConnell is going to do a 180. Uh, Instead of opposing a COVID relief package, he is going to push it because he'd like to get it done while Trump is still president, while he has some leverage from uh, Trump. But then he can limit the size of the package, which is just what he'll do. And then when Biden becomes president and says, okay, the first thing we need to do is an ambitious package of COVID recovery, economic stimulus, and uh, infrastructure, McConnell will likely say, we, we did that. We don't need to do any more. And he's already said he wants to make it a very limited package. So if that's the best we're going to get, we're going to be in some difficulty. Biden is not going to be able to do some of the things that his own base wants him to do, but also that the country needs. Democracy reform, fixing the healthcare system, doing a, a number of things on climate change, dealing with the fact that beyond COVID itself, We're going to see a radical transformation because a lot of the jobs that were there before COVID are uh, not going to come back. And then I would just say, you look at COVID itself, and it is emblematic of this divide that you're talking about. You know, one of the things I will say, Al, that really just sort of took me aback was watching the Republican governor of North Dakota. And North and South Dakota per capita have the highest rates of uh, COVID infection per capita in the world right now. And we know why, because they basically opened things up and unleashed them. And he was crying over the deaths and the devastation in his state caused by COVID, but then said, but you know, we have to uh, uh, go on the side of freedom. So forget about all of the public health measures that we ought to be doing masks, appropriate PPE, uh, making sure that we're prepared with our frontline workers. And that's not going to change. And I think when Joe Biden comes in, first, I I fear and, and think that uh, Trump is going to fire Anthony Fauci during the transition, fire a whole lot of people at the uh, CDC. The signal that's being sent here is as Biden comes in and says, we're going to follow the public health guidelines. And that means We need masks in public settings. We need social distancing. We can't have restaurants open and testing. 
And 40% of the country is going to see this as a direct assault on their freedoms, and we're going to see civil disobedience, or maybe worse. Uh, The kinds of things that we've seen when uh, Trump sent those signals, but for a lot of those people out there, it's going to be worse when you have a Democratic president pushing it. And of course, all of that universe of media will be pushing back. They do not want the satisfaction of having Biden proven right by bringing the infection rate under control. And that's a part of the challenge that we have. If you don't get people accepting fundamental science, fundamental directions from an executive who's trying to set the right course, you know, this is going to be a a long winter. Well, let, let's talk about, go back to the stakes of the, the special elections in Georgia. Yeah. Because you know, if we if we win both of these, and I can't imagine the mobilization on both sides in this this special, because they're two, they're two up, the mobilization of resources is going to be national, and the focus is going to be national. God bless Stacey Abrams for mobilizing registration there. This is going to be like, an enormous, enormous event. Uh, no question. You know, and the stakes are enormous because if we get the two, if we get 50, then we have with the vice president, the majority, right? That's very different. And then you get the question of the filibuster because remember we had 60 for a little while. I got there and then until Scott Brown won. And there's a big difference between having 60 and not having 60. There's just going to be the question of we're going to have to get rid of the filibuster at that point. You you have some thoughts on that, I know. Yeah, but let me step back a minute and say this. Here's where the difference starts. Mitch McConnell has already indicated that he is going to put big roadblocks in place for Biden's cabinet and subcabinet nominees to keep progressives out of key positions. He can do that. Even if you have uh, 51 Republicans in the Senate and uh, maybe uh, Mitt Romney and uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins will provide some votes here and there, but he can keep these nominees from even getting a vote on the floor. And he can disrupt Biden's presidency right from the get-go while also blocking any judges. He did that in spades with Obama. He filibustered more executive appointees or nominations than had been filibustered in the the entire history before him. But he did that when they were in the minority. In the majority, he has much greater power. This is part of the problem of two senators from North Dakota, two senators from South Dakota, and two senators from California, which you kind of talked about Trump ignoring California. Remember, 40% of Californians are Republicans. So there are 40 million people in California. That means there are a heck of a lot of Republicans that are just ignored in that state. That's why we need a popular vote. That's why we need a national popular vote. Exactly so. But part of the reason that they can stop gun stuff is because, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, they each have two, and West Virginia has two, and uh, all these small states have two. And uh, as you have pointed out, you know, what did you say? Like, what, what's the statistic you gave, like the 70-30 yeah. statistic? So by 2040, 70% of Americans will live in 15 of our 50 states. 50% of Americans will live in eight states. But take that first set of figures. And what it means is that 30% of Americans in 20 years will elect 
70 of the 100, uh, if there are 100 senators. And it's not that the the 30% are all Republican. Uh, those states are uh, a mixture. You've got you know small states like uh, Delaware and Vermont and Maine that are not Republican. And the big states are not all Democratic. Uh, Florida, Texas, they may be moving in a different direction. But the big issue is that 30% is simply not representative of the diversity of the country. And people are moving to those states because that's where the economic dynamism is. And, you know, they represent the overwhelming majority of the GDP in the country. And, you know, increasingly, the Senate is going to become unrepresentative of the country, uninterested in the larger viewpoints in the country, working to take money from those rich states that are in the minority in the Senate and give it to the other states, kind of a reverse Robin Hood uh, sort of thing in some ways. And increasingly, people are going to believe that their votes are just not legitimate. That's the problem with the Electoral College, too. And when you get to a point where uh, 50% live in eight states, we're going to have more and more cases where uh, the popular vote for the presidency is almost irrelevant. If we end up with more cases where the winner of the popular vote loses the presidency, people start to believe that their votes don't matter. And that's extraordinarily dangerous for uh, a country. And, you know, when I hear conservatives just sort of reflexively say, we have a republic, not a democracy. In a republic, or to put it more accurately, a small r republican form of democracy, People choose their representatives who then represent them and their interests. But we're in a world where people don't choose their representatives anymore. That's just a a crisis in legitimacy. And that's where we're headed. You know, we're fortunate now that we didn't have a situation like uh, 2016, where Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million, but lost the presidency. Now we're going to have Joe Biden, who will win the popular vote by 5 million or more, who, while he will have a substantial electoral vote victory, God willing, you know, still had a, a, a close call here, a closer call. than. But, but you had data be. like like if he only won by 4 million, yeah, <laughs> he'd only have like a 50-50 chance or less than a 50-50 yeah. chance of winning the presidency. And that's screwed up. That's just screwed It's, it's, you know, no other country operates this way. It's insane. By the way, no other country also, no other established democracy has a two and a half month transition between the time that you have an election and you have a change in regime and the new one taking over. You have a lame duck there for two and a half months. And that's insane as well. Okay, well, then let's talk about what Trump can do during the transition. Remember that uh, just a week ago, he did an executive order uh, that opened up the entire Tongass National Forest in Alaska to logging, and they're already starting. And once you do that, you can't put the trees back. We're going to see more of those, and more of those probably involving public lands and drilling and uh, fracking and whatever else he can do. So you think uh, he can cut down the whole forest? No, he can't. Between now and then? (laughs) Believe me, the loggers know that they're going to have a limited time probably before this is undone. By the way, this is another element of why it's important to have a Senate. You know, when uh, Trump became president and had the House and Senate, Um, They used a a law that enables Congress 
to nullify regulations and executive actions taken in the last six months, to uh, just blow away an awful lot of what Obama had done. It's more cumbersome otherwise, and it takes a little while. So he's going to try and do all kinds of mischief with executive actions. He did what I would view as a completely illegal executive order a couple of weeks ago to blow up the career civil service and create this category Schedule F, where you could arbitrarily move people with civil service protection into it, and then the president can fire them with no appeal. I'm expecting that he will do this and fire Anthony Fauci and fire uh, Deborah Burks and fire a whole slew of people at the CDC and the FDA and a lot of people in the intelligence world. It's disruptive uh, and it just takes a while to replace them. I'm expecting that he will probably fire uh, Christopher Wray, uh, the head of the mm -hmm. FBI, and that what he will try to do with the Justice Department and maybe getting rid of a lot of career people there in the public integrity section and the civil rights section, what I expect uh, he will do uh, is to try and make sure in the interim that he finds prosecutors more willing than the uh, ones that have been there so far to go after Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden and maybe even Joe Biden. There are just no limits to what this guy will uh, do just to make life difficult. Biden is getting daily intelligence briefings now. There is no legal requirement that a president-elect get full intelligence briefings every day. And you can imagine Trump and his uh, director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, withholding some vital information. And you can imagine Trump still as commander-in-chief doing some uh, inflammatory or destructive things in the foreign policy front. Well, as I've, as I've always said, now is not the time for the Joint Chiefs to take away the nuclear codes from Trump. Now is the time to give him the wrong codes. <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's, that's the first order of business today. Yeah. But let's talk about then the flip side of this, him going after, you know, Hillary, him going after Hunter. Yeah. The flip side of this is he, is he going to pardon himself? Oh, yes. And, and he'll pardon everybody around him. So that is uh, going to be kind of uh, spectacular. <laughs> but he'll still be liable, uh, you know, he'll still be vulnerable to New York state law and... uh and I, the prosecutor in Manhattan going after yep. him. So he's not going to be in the clear. So that's going to be an interesting uh, part of the future. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're speculating that uh, it's possible that uh, as he causes all of this disruption, and of course, he'll do rallies all the time now, trying to whip up people into a frenzy against Biden and the illegitimate election and all the illegal voters and all of that. It's possible he could go to Biden uh, sometime in uh, December and say, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll resign early. Let Mike Pence pardon me federally. If you get the New York prosecutors to agree that they won't prosecute me, a kind of uh, you know blackmail sort of strategy. I'm not at all sure that uh, Biden could uh, pull that off, but you can imagine that happening. That's why I, Biden should wear a wire 
if he talks yep. to Trump. That's all I'm uh, saying. Yes. And uh, of course, if the New York prosecutors <laughs> said, okay, and then reneged on that bargain afterwards, you know, that would... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's true. There's that. Uh, Norm, uh, thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.